What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Off the Dome Radio. Thank you so much for hanging with us today. We have an awesome guest, Michelle Seiler Tucker, and she deals in mergers and acquisitions. So she has been an advisor in mergers and acquisitions for the past 20 years. So she has a lot of experience in the industry. She's bought and sold over 1,500 businesses, achieved a 98% close rate for her clients, and manages a network of 28,000 buyers. So if you need to build and sell a business for more than it's worth, Michelle Seiler Tucker is your person. She is the author of the newly released book on presale now, Exit Rich, and she also wrote Sell Your Business for More Than It's Worth. So we had an awesome time learning a lot of things, all business related from Michelle, how she manages her company and what it was like leaving corporate America. So that's kind of where we start our discussion today. You know, she gives a little bit about her background, how she got into mergers and acquisitions, what her first business was that she dealt with, helped to build and sell and why she left corporate America, even though she had a pretty awesome and high up role there as well. Then she gets into how business owners can raise the worth of their company, uh, some mistakes to avoid when doing so, and what it means to truly innovate within your industry. Michelle then highlights her GPS exit model and how it helps business owners build and optimize their company infrastructure. And then she takes us through the five types of business buyers and how her company helps facilitate that process between buyers and the company owner trying to sell their company. Tim, what'd you think of our discussion with Michelle today? Yeah, I thought the uh, anybody who's trying to take the next step in their business, whether it's scale it back or not, not scale it back, but scale it, build it, um, really hone down their processes, their people, their product, everything that goes into making a business valuable. Michelle covers it all. So I think this is a very valuable interview for, for anybody. So she dives into the six P's that business owners must understand to create a business that people will buy in the future. Uh, she also explains what limits business owners from kind of taking this step in this process and what separates great business owners from average business owners. So she explains that. I thought that was really valuable. And then she gives an overview of her new book, Exit Rich, and how it can help business owners elevate their company. Um, and she also talks about her process of writing it, what motivated her to do this, um, what her process looked like. And then obviously she gives her final advice on how she wants to be remembered and, and kind of what's next for her. Um, and even though Exit Rich, her book, it comes out in June, you can actually pre-order the book for $24.79, uh, either on Amazon or you can go to ExitRichBook.com. You can get, even though you pre-order it, you can get an email digital download so you can read it today. And then when it comes out, you'll, you'll get a hardcover delivered to your doorstep. You also get a lifetime membership into the Exit Rich Book Club, which you can, you can get more video content from Michelle. Uh, she'll go over techniques and strategies to grow your business. Plus, you get free documents that help you run your company, sell your company. You get organizational charts, non-competes, due diligence checklists, employee handbook. And then you also get a 30-day free membership into her club CEOs, which is a mastermind of entrepreneurs. So a lot of value there for $24.79. You can go to exitrichbook.com to download that and get all those free goodies. Um, so I think no matter where you are in your career, whether you're, you're looking to start a business, whether you're in business, whether you've owned a business for a long time, there's a lot of good things in here that um, Michelle explains. And she has obviously a wealth of experience in this industry, mergers and acquisitions. So I know you guys are going to get a lot of value. Without further ado, Michelle Seiler Tucker. 
All right. So you want me to start? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> this is all, all right. about you, Michelle. So I'm Michelle Seiler Tucker, and I've been in mergers and acquisitions, mastering intermediary. It's actually actually my title, MA, mastering intermediary. For about 20 years, um, I have personally sold over 500 companies. My firm has sold over 1,000 in every vertical you can imagine. I really specialize in buying, selling, fixing, and growing companies. You know, I learned very quickly that what Steve Forbes says is true, that eight out of 10 businesses don't sell. So I started, you know, saying to myself, if I don't fix these companies, I'm going to starve to death. So I really specialize in buying, selling, fixing, and growing. I buy businesses and flip them. I partner with business owners, investing my money, my time, resources, energy, effort, in which to fix the business, grow the business, and put them on a build-to-sell program. So at any given time, I'm on five to 10 companies. I'm actually building to sell, building to exit. And before this, I did franchise sales, franchise development, franchise consulting. Um, oh, one thing I wanted to say is, you know, we typically are able to get our clients um, 20 to 40% higher selling price. Some cases as high as 65%. We had one deal, we did 126% more than the appraised price. And there's lots of ways we do that. So when we dig into the content of my book, Exit Rich, I can explain to you how we're able to do that. And we have about a 98% closing rate. Wow. So we also have the largest data um, buyer database in the industry. We have over 28,000 buyers. There's five different types of buyers. We work with all five. And like I said before this, I did franchise sales, franchise consulting, franchise development. I've owned many different businesses and many different verticals. Um, I think you asked me, when did I start my first business? I don't really m remember when, <laughs> but I want to say it's a, a wedding magazine was probably one of my first businesses. Oh, wow. How, how'd you get into uh, the wedding magazine? How'd that start? Um, I actually saw an opportunity and uh, business for sale and I bought it. Okay. And, and yep. And then and did that, you know, I bought did that kind of kickstart your, your mergers and acquisitions? Was that kind of the start no, of, of that? No, no, no. So you want me to go way back? <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's no, go way back. No, I've always been an entrepreneur. I've always been a writer. I've always been interested in small businesses. Um, I have owned different businesses and different verticals. I did go to work at Xerox. Um, you know, I did get sucked into that to the J-O-B, <laughs> to the job. And because Xerox actually recruited me from their competitor. And they made sure that they could get around my non-compete because I had a really strict non-compete. Mm. And they recruited me. They spent all the money on the attorneys to get me. And within six months, my nickname became the closer because every time you couldn't close a deal, they would say, get Michelle. She can close it. She can close anything. And then my manager came to me within those six months and said, Michelle, you really should apply for the regional vice president position. She said, you're not going to get it because you've only been here for six months. And Xerox has a policy that you have to be there two years or longer. Plus, you're competing you know, with people that have been here for decades. And I said, well, gosh, why should I, why should I go for something I'm never going to get? <laughs> I mean, it sounds like a colossal waste of time because it was a three-month um, period. And she said, because you'll learn so much from this. You'll gain from this experience. So I said, okay, I'll do it. And so I dropped my name in the hat, went through the three-month process, which was a really grueling process. We had to meet with every high-level executive in Xerox, go through all these Q&As, go through all this, um, you know, do presentations, demonstrations of, of, 
the Xerox equipment, et cetera. And I ended up getting it, even though they told me I would never get it. They said Xerox broke the policy and, and, and promoted me. <laughs> and I ended up beating all my friends, which, you know, then all my friends were mad at me at Xerox. because <laughs> I beat them. So I guess I truly am the closer. But when I moved from sales into management, I really hated it. And the reason I hated it, I mean, I like, I'm okay with management. Probably not the, you know, most entrepreneurs are not the best managers. Most salespeople are not the best managers. Um, but what I didn't like about it was that it was just corporate America. So much red tape. You can't make any decisions. You have meetings to schedule meetings, to schedule follow-up meetings, to talk about your follow-up meetings, you know? And it was just so much bureaucracy that you really couldn't get anything done. And I'm a person that makes decisions right away. I like to find the see the problems, implement the solutions. And you couldn't do that in high level management with a Fortune 500 company. So I decided I you know, was going to leave. So I ended up transitioning into franchise sales, franchise development, franchise consulting. I became a partner with one franchisor. Um, and, but then I started realizing very quickly that our values didn't align. I had sold hundreds of franchises for them put them on the map. I was actually their partner, but they were over-promising, under-delivering, you know, and that's the biggest mistake that a lot of entrepreneurs make is they go after to sell, go after to sell, go after to sell, but then they never build the infrastructure to handle the clients in which to deliver excellent, superior customer service. So this company never built their infrastructure. And anyway, so I ended up, you know, having them buy me out and um, I went from franchise sales into mergers and acquisitions because I had so many buyers that would say, gosh, do you have an existing business? We don't want to be in a franchise model. So many buyers don't want to be a part of the franchise model. And so that's when I transitioned into selling companies, you know, for small companies and then very quickly transitioned into selling businesses $10 million and up. Wow. Why, don't, so why, don't, why didn't they like uh, the franchise model? Control, mm -hmm. you know, franchise model is great for first-time buyers, for people who are leaving corporate America and wanting to be in business for themselves but not by themselves because franchising is great because it has a cookie-cutter formula, they have training, they have support, you know. But if you're an entrepreneur, a lot of times entrepreneurs don't like what? They don't like control. They don't like, they don't like to lose control. They don't like to be told what to do. They want to do their own thing. Mm -hmm. So franchising is not for everybody. That's a good point with, with that franchise. You, you lose that quality control. It's a blueprint and probably a nice blueprint. Like if we were to buy a subway, but that's how it's going to be done no matter what. That's how it's going to be done. And I think it's great for a lot of people, but here's the deal. You know, the franchise communities, franchise owners are probably going to hate me right now. But I'm here to tell you, and I've written blogs about this, don't buy a new franchise. Buy an existing franchise. Mm. You know, I've seen so many people lose everything by buying a new franchise. A new franchise, what are you basing, what are you basing the price on? You're basing it on the franchise fee. You're basing it on, you know, what the build-out costs. And let me tell you something. The build-out always costs more than what they tell you it's going to cost. <laughs> always. Have you ever built a house? Have you ever done construction? 
Does it ever come in higher than what they tell you all the time? So you're basing it on the franchise fee. You're based on the build-out cost. You're based on inventory. You're based on FF&E, franchise fixtures equipment. You're not basing it on the numbers. And the problem with franchising, most of these franchisees go into the business undercapitalized. So you don't have any clients. You're starting from scratch. Sometimes franchisors don't do their due diligence and put the franchise location in the right spot. And it could take you years before you actually make a profit. Whereas you can go buy an existing subway and that subway is going to be based upon not the build out cost, not the franchisee, not any of those things. It's going to be based upon the numbers that they did. So you can typically buy an existing franchise for a lot less than what you can buy a new franchise for. Makes a lot of sense. A long time ago, we saw we sold a Baskin Robbins, and I don't. I only sell businesses typically ten million and up. This was years and years and years ago, and it was actually a politician that lives in New Orleans that owned this Baskin Robbins, so I was doing him a favor. Um, but his cash flow was maybe around fifty thousand, sixty thousand. A brand new Baskin Robbins is going to be between three hundred to four hundred thousand dollars. You know, they always give you a big range. Because <laughs> they don't know, you know, does a kid go up? Um, his draw was based upon his cash flow. So I think we sold his store. His store had been in business 30 years. He had existing employees. He had cust loyal customers that had been coming to him for years and years and years and years. It was a great location. Everything was already done. It was turnkey. And I think his store sold for about 160, 175 because the cash flow was around 50 to, to 60. So wouldn't you rather pay half the price and get a built-in turnkey business versus paying double the price and having to do everything from the beginning? Because 100%. let me tell you something. When you run out of working capital, franchisor is not going to bail you out. You're not going to say, oh, here's a loan. Here's some, here's some working capital. Here's a line of credit. Right. Yeah, I, uh, I used to work at Simon Property Group and so dealt with a lot of franchisees and you know, you see them get in trouble and yeah, no one's going to come help. They're, they're on their own. It's an island. No, I mean, and you know, I think, you know, people just make stupid decisions. I have an attorney friend of mine who is an attorney. That's what he does. He has an, he's an attorney. He has a great practice. Very good friend of mine. He goes and starts a, one of those ice cream or smoothie franchises or, you know, one of those things. And oh my gosh, people don't show up to work. People are stealing from him. <laughs> all kinds of headaches. So now you have an attorney leaving his profitable practice to go run this franchise because people are stealing and people are not showing up. Mm. He ended up, he wanted me to sell it for him. I said, look, you know, I'm not going to get you what you paid for it. He probably invested about 400,000, a half a million dollars. I said, best case scenario, you're going to get the value of the equipment, maybe a little bit of the build out. And that's it. He ended up going under. Yikes. Man. Yeah. So don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> we, we will not get a franchise. Yeah. Or just do your, do your homework. Do your homework. Do your homework. You know, I always tell people to diversify, but if you're an attorney the last or a doctor, the last thing you need to do is go buy an ice cream franchise or a smoothie franchise or a coffee shop <laughs> franchise or a restaurant because you got to deal with employees. Employees are going to let you down. Yeah. Employees are not going to show up sometimes. So, I, I, yeah, outside <laughs> of buying, buying a new franchise, what, what are some of the other 
issues or mistakes you see business owners uh, fall victim to oftentimes? Well, there's so many. There really is so many. And I, and I don't want this show to be all negative. So let's put a positive spin on it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so first and foremost, let me just give you a little history. So when I wrote my first book, Sell Your Business for More Than It's Worth in 2013, I learned that, you know, 95% of all startups would fail, right? Within those first one to five years, they would fail. They would go out of business. And if you have made it past that five years, you're pretty much golden. You're going to be in business for a long time, right? Is that not like common knowledge? Sure. But when I wrote Exit Rich in 2019 and 2020, I did the exact same research and found out that the business landscape has actually changed dramatically. And people don't know this. This is before COVID, way before COVID. That now only 30% of startups will go out of business. Only 30%. So startup nation, you know, go out there and start up your businesses because you have more, you know, you have, it's a lot less risk than it ever was before. However, out of 27 points, now let me put this in perspective for you. There's 30.2 million businesses in the United States employing over half the U.S. workforce. Small business is the backbone of our economy. Without small business, you don't have jobs. You lose jobs, you lose spending power, and it's a domino effect, and then more small businesses close. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So out of 27.6 million companies, remember I told you it was 30.2, out of 27.6, those businesses have been in business for 10 years or longer, 70% of them will go out of business. 70% are going out of business. You hear about the public companies all the time. Toys R Us in business 75 years crashes. Kmart, Steinmark, Pier 1, Montgomery Wards, Juicy. I mean, it just goes on and on and on and on. Godiva is closing up 1,500 stores. GNC is closing up 900 locations. Even Starbucks has been having trouble. But what you don't hear about are the private companies on every street corner in every town and every state across America, these businesses are dropping like flies and exiting poor. And the reason they're exiting poor is because they stop doing what I call aim. This is one of the biggest mistakes business owners make. So I wanted to give you a little bit of history before I just start jumping into the mistakes. Sure. And the reason for that is because they stop doing what I call aim. Aim is always innovate and market. Always innovate and market. Have you heard of Blockbuster? Oh, yeah. They saw Netflix, right? They could have mm -hmm. innovated. They could have bought Netflix. They sat back fat and happy and did nothing. Toys R Us sat around for 75 years and changed nothing. So the name of the game is innovation. You're either growing or dying. There is no in-between. So many of these business owners that have been in business 10 years or longer they stop innovating. They're married to their ideas. They're married to their concept. They don't want to change. They want to do business the way they've always done business. And consumers are saying no. Consumers are the one who makes the rules. Whoever holds the gold makes the rules. Consumers hold the gold because they can decide to spend money with you or not spend money with you. And whoever makes it easiest for the consumer to purchase products and services is a company that's going to win. Amazon is winning because... You can practically buy anything on Amazon. You can practically buy a freaking horse on Amazon and have it delivered to your house in two days. You know, I said that on a podcast one day and my husband goes, I sure hope our daughter doesn't listen to this because she's going to go to Alexa and order a horse. <laughs> yeah. 
So that's number one reason that businesses are going out of business. And that's one of the biggest mistakes that business owners make. The other big mistake is, you know, Steve Forbes says 80% of businesses will not sell. Eight out of 10 businesses will not sell. 80%. That's a really big number. The Mergers and Acquisitions Association says 90%. Since Steve Forbes endorsed my book, Exit Rich, I'll go with Steve Forbes. But the, the biggest reason that they don't sell is because they don't think about selling until a catastrophic event has occurred. That could be internal or external. Internal is health issues, divorce, partner dispute, or death. External is you're in it, the pandemic. (laughs) You know, and that's the worst time to sell your business because then your business is going down. It's trending down. Nobody wants to buy a sinking ship. Business owners want to buy a business that's doing great and at the top of its game and is booming. So you really need need to plan start your business with the end in mind you need to think about the exit from day one of buying or starting your business i call this the stgps exit model that's in my book exit rich do you want to know more about the model yeah i was gonna, gonna <laughs> ask, uh, that and and i guess that fact a lot of people seem to miss the exit strategy might believe that they'll hang on to it forever um so how, how, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me, Colin, mm-hmm. what lasts forever? Taxes. Taxes. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah, you man. got me on that one. <laughs> but there's ways to get around taxes or ways to decrease your tax yeah, Right. But nothing lasts forever. Yeah. What goes up must come down. Yeah. And that's the problem with business owners. I had a sweet little old lady call me a couple of months ago. Her husband dropped out of a heart attack, left her with a mountain of debt. She knew nothing about the business, nothing about the finances, you know, just a stay-at-home mom. And she asked me if I could sell the business, so I started asking her all these different questions. He has no business. Most business owners go out there and create a glorified job that they go to work for every day versus a business that actually works for them. Mm-hmm. He was a construction company, and he had subcontractors. He had no employees and no processes in place. All the data was in his head. When he died, the business died. So if business owners are not going to think about themselves, they should at least think about the family and set their family up for success because this poor little lady doesn't know what to do. And unfortunately, I can't sell the business for her because there is no business. Yeah, man. Yeah, so so you mentioned your SD6P method. Let's let's get into that a little more. Uh, Let Let me take you through the GPS exit model first. Okay. And the reason why I want to take you through that first is because you really have to, fi- you, before you go and build your infrastructure, you really need to figure out your exit strategy because that's going to help you with your infrastructure. Does that make sense? Yep. And I was just on a podcast earlier where I, you know, they asked me, they said, well, what about mindset? How do you know about if you really want to build a sustainable, scalable business that's sellable? You just got to decide if you just want a job. <laughs> And you want to work in your job 12, 14 hours a day. Look, I just met with a client who hasn't taken a vacation 19 years. Who wants to do that? I mean, we go into business to have freedom, right? right. <laughs> we go into business to have financial freedom and to have more, a better quality of life, not to be slaves to our business. Right. And so anyway, the GPS exit model is all about starting your business or buying a business with the end in mind. So 
business owners don't plan to fail. They fail to plan. When you want to drive somewhere, you typically pull out your phone, right? You go to Google Maps and what do you plug in? Destination. Your destination. Because you know where you're going, right? Mm -hmm. The biggest mistake that business owners make is they don't know where they're going. They have no destination. So they're driving around in circles. They're driving around up and down the financial hills to end up nowhere. Why do you, that's why so many businesses are going under. They're selling for pennies on the dollar. They're closing their businesses or even worse, filing bankruptcy. So you need to have a destination. You need to have an end game. You know, it's even if you have kids, you have a destination for your kids. You want to get them the hell out of your house at some point, <laughs> get them into college, get them out of your house, get them married and get grandkids, right? You have a destination for them. Yeah. So you need a destination for your business. So pick a number. I don't care what the number is. Pick a number. You know, say, gosh, I want to sell my company for $20 million. Great. Now we have a start of a plan. What's the next thing that your GPS needs to know? The route to get there. Where you're starting from. Yeah. What's your current location? In business, what's your current valuation? Do you know that most business owners never have their business evaluated? Mm. That is financial suicide. Financial suicide. I mean, humans go to the doctors once a year, <laughs> sometimes more, but once a year to get an annual checkup to make sure their heart's still ticking and they're still kicking, right? They take their car to the shop to get a, a tune-up checkup on their car but they don't get an annual valuation checkup on their business. There are events that increase valuation and events that decrease valuation. What do you think COVID's doing right now? It's increasing valuation on some companies and decreasing on a bunch of others. You should always know what your business is worth. Your business should be your biggest asset. Do you guys invest in the stock market? Yes. Do you always know what your financial portfolio is? Yep. You always know yep. where you are? Look at it why don't much. people know what yeah. their business is worth? <laughs> yeah. Right. Good way to put it. Yeah. It's fair. Way business to put owners it. treat their business as a job, as a hobby, or they treat it as their baby. And they don't really treat it as a valuable asset. So you need to know what your business is worth. So let's say it's worth $5 million. You want to sell it for 20 million? It's worth $5 million today. Now you need to know time frame. Let's say you want to do it in 10 years. And now, like you said earlier, now you need to know the route, right? So you need to reverse engineer it. But you got to figure out who's your buyer is going to be. There's five types of buyers. Not buyer. You heard me say buyers? Mm -hmm. Because I, if, if I had a dollar for every seller that came to me and said, Michelle, I already know who the buyer is going to be. I already have a buyer. <laughs> that buyer never, ever comes to fruition. <laughs> Very seldom does it ever happen. It doesn't happen. The deal falls apart for a multitude of reasons. Plus, if you're putting all your eggs in that one buyer's basket and the deal falls apart, do you have any buyer, backup buyers? No. Plus, how do you get maximum value? How do you get top dollar? How do you get the highest price for your biggest asset if you haven't created competition? Mm. If you don't have multiple buyers bidding on it. Right? Yeah. So the five types of buyers. So let me tell you who your buyers aren't. If you're trying to sell for $20 million, you're not going to sell to a first-time buyer because they can't afford you. Turnaround specialists buy distressed assets. They don't buy $20 million companies. Private equity groups buy $20 million companies. They buy based on platforms and add-ons. 
strategics and competitors are sometimes the best buyers because they buy synergies and they pay more money for synergies. Sophisticated serial entrepreneurs, they're industry agnostic. They could care less about the industry. They chase cash flow. Those are your five types of buyers. Now you need to know what's the buyer's criteria. What's their financial criteria? Where do, where do the financials have to be to get a $20 million price tag? So you need to know where the gross revenues have to be. Most importantly, where does the EBITDA need to be? EBITDA is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization. The EBITDA has to be at least between $3 million to $5 million for you to get $20 million price, unless you got enormous synergies. Because there are companies that lose money, like SaaS companies, and they still sell for a high multiple. Um, and then you need to know, well, what synergies are these buyers looking for? What are they willing to pay more money for? And then you bill to meet these specific criteria. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And then the last step is, what is your why? Why do you want to sell for $20 million? If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. So you have to have a powerful why to keep you in the game, to keep you motivated, to keep you weathering all the financial storms. So that's the GPS exit model. The next thing is the six P's and building your infrastructure. But I wanted to cover that first because that's really one of the most important pieces. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it makes sense. And I want to just go back real quick. You mentioned uh, how do you get that? Oh, we got a car alarm. Of course. Um, yeah, naturally. You mentioned how you need to get competitors, uh, people bidding against each other. How do you go about that process. If someone says, oh, I have a buyer, where do you find the buyers to now introduce kind of that bidding war for that company? Well, I've been in business for over 20 years, so I have over 28,000 buyers. Okay, so you know some people. I know some people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Relationship capital. So I have all, I have all five types of buyers. So I have the buyers. You're not, you're good. It's very difficult for a business owner to try to sell a business on their own. They're not going to be able to create a bidding war on their own. It's pretty much impossible because of all the moving parts. So you really need an advisor that can put together a structured auction or a non-structured auction and um, start, you know, start creating a bidding war. Got it. Makes sense. But you got to do that by having buyers. So I have buyers. Plus, we get new buyers every day. Plus, we pull lists of strategics. We pull lists of competitors. We pull lists of pegs. I mean, we work with over 3,000 private equity groups. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And as, as businesses, like, outline this strategy, like, they begin with the end in mind. They, they outline a game plan. How often should they go back and, like, revisit and reevaluate their strategy of, of where they were All they, the time. They, yeah. How, I mean, <laughs> you know, I would say so. We put business owners on a mentor program, mm -hmm. a build to sell program, where we get them into the system. We do the evaluation. We help them plan out, you know, their exit strategy, when they want to sell, how much they want to sell for, figure out what they're worth right now, and put them on a monthly program where we help them build on the six P's which will build on their profits and their EBITDA. And so then we, we redo the valuation once a year. Um, plus somebody from my team is on the phone with them once a month. I'm typically on the phone with them once a month in the beginning for two to three months. Mm. And then it's once a quarter for me. But we go in and we look at everything 
and we tell them exactly what they need to do. Because here's the deal. I can tell you, if you want to sell your business for $50 million, I can tell you exactly how to do it and exactly what you need to do, exactly where your financials need to be, exactly how, what six P's you need to have in place, what synergies you need to build on, you know, what overhead to cut, what to increase on as far as innovations and marketing. I can tell you exactly how to do it. How much time do you got? <laughs> Told you how to stop yeah. it for three. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. That's incredible though. You, you have quite a system, it sounds like, um, but taking a long career to do that too. Yeah, I've been doing it for 20 years. Plus yeah. I own multiple businesses. So I'm not just somebody who sells businesses. I've been on the other side of the desk. Sure, <laughs> so yeah. I've ran businesses. I've, I've been through, you know, everything that I tell my clients to do. Yeah. So you mentioned, um, so we went through the GPS exit. Uh, you mentioned the 6P method as well. Uh, let's maybe dive into that a little bit. Okay. So the problem with most companies is they just don't have an infrastructure. I told you the number one reason that businesses don't sell is because they don't plan their exit. They don't build a business that somebody actually wants to buy, right? So the 6Ps are all about creating that business that hundreds and hundreds of buyers will be interested in buying. The first P is people. The number two reason that businesses don't sell is because the business is attached to the owner. You take the owner out of the business, there is no business. I'll give you a few examples. Dentist. How dentists come to me, been in business 45 years. Three dental hygienists, no other dentist. It's like, Michelle, I can't do this anymore. I got to retire. I'm like, well, you're going to need to stay on for two or three years because of your patience, you know? And he goes, I'm not doing it. I'm going to go, good. Then you're not going to sell your business because the minute you leave, the patients leave, mm -hmm. right? That's a perfect yeah. example. Same thing with chiropractors. Same thing, you know, with all kinds of different businesses. So the problem with a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, all of us are guilty of this, is we try to do everything because a lot of us are control freaks. You'll never grow unless you let go of the control. Gotta let go of control. So the first P is people. Focus on your strengths, hire your weaknesses. You don't build a business, you build people and people build a business. Get the right people in the right seats. Ask the who question. Who opens the door? Who handles customer service? Who handles marketing, legal, accounting? Who handles... Um, Manufacturing, transportation, logistics, distribution. I mean, the, the questions go on and on and on. The clue here is you should never be next to the who. Mm. Most business owners never write down all of the different tasks that are, you know, part of their business. And they're probably doing 50 to 60% of those tasks. So you can't be next to the who. The go here is to build a business that runs without you. You're the visionary. Get an integrator. Get a team of management. Get a, a management team. And make sure you have the right people in the right seat. And you are never next to the who. If you are, the business will not run without you. And you'll be like my client that hasn't taken a vacation in 19 years. Oh, your business is not sellable. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So, and then at, at that higher level, here's another mistake I see a lot of business owners make is they don't even have employee contracts. They do everything on a handshake. They have no non-competes. Buyers are not gonna pay 20, 30, 40, 50 million dollars for a company or even 10 million dollars for a company without having employment contracts, without having non-competes in place. 
You know, that's why it's imperative for everybody to read Exit Rich because it walks you through these logical steps of how to put all of these things in place, cross the T's and dot the I's. The second P is product. So you got to ask yourself, is your industry, is your product thriving or dying? Is it on the way up or on the way out? Do you have an Amazon or do you have a Blockbuster? Many industries are in a Blockbuster phase right now because of the pandemic. But just because your industry is dying doesn't mean that you die with it. <laughs> doesn't mean that you pack up, go home and crawl under your bed and cry. It means that you have to get an expert, get a mentor, get somebody to help you see things that you're not clearly seeing. Because when you're in the middle of chaos, <laughs> when you're in the middle of your fog, it's foggy, right? It's hard to see things clearly. And I always tell my clients, ask yourself these three transformational questions. Amazon did this back in the 90s. They asked themselves, what business are we in? They said, we're in the book selling business. We sell books. What do we do really, really well? Question number two. Better than anybody else. And I said, we do fulfillment better than anyone else. And then the third question, what business should we be in? And I said, fulfillment. Duh. <laughs> so they say we should fulfill everybody's products, not just books. That, those three questions alone I mean, obviously, hard work came in, a lot of hard work. But those three questions is what really transformed Amazon from being a small bookseller to a multi-billion dollar worldwide conglomerate that they are today. So business owners have to get out of being transactional and start being transformational. And that's why business owners really need to work on their business instead of in their business so that they can ask these transformational questions. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's product. Yeah. The third P is processes. So most business owners don't think about processes, just like they don't think about exit strategy until something happens. You know, we have a client, we're selling a manufacturing plant. We have a client that um, their employee got hurt on the manufacturing floor. That's a catastrophic event that occurred and it's going to cost them a lot of money in lawsuits. And the owner looked at me and said, we need a process for health and safety. And I'm like, you think? <laughs> <laughs> you really needed it before this happened. <laughs> yeah, right. So you got to design your processes with, you have to design your processes from the beginning of starting a business or buying a new business. Of course, things change. Of course, things evolve. Of course, you keep tweaking your processes. You keep perfecting your processes. But here's where most business owners get it wrong. Most business owners design their processes around their own agenda. And what I mean by that is they design around their own agenda, not around the customer experience. Have you ever went somewhere and had a great customer experience? Yep. Or the same experience, no matter where you go. McDonald's. McDonald's. Did you ever watch the movie The Founder? Uh, I haven't seen it, no. You need to go watch that movie. Okay. One of the best movies ever. McDonald's brother started McDonald's in the Ford. I think it was in the forties. Ray Kroc is the one who came in and really blew it up. But anyway, they started in the forties and they, they said, we're going to start a fast food restaurant designed around the customer experience. They want the customers to get great tasting food. That's hot and fast. You can eat at McDonald's anywhere in the world. And do you not get the same experience? Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. They never said the food was going to be healthy. They never said it's going to be organic. They never said any of that. Now, how many times have you dealt with a business where 
you're trying to get somebody on the phone and you have to go through like 12 different prompts. Push yeah. this button, push two, push three, push four, you know, or you've taught, you have to talk to like 10 different people to finally get somebody to help you. And you've had to repeat yourself 10 times. We have a dispute, a credit card dispute right now. And this is what I'm not going to name the bank. I shouldn't name, but I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> and we've had, my assistant has had the facts or information 10 times and made numerous calls to get the situation handled. And they still are saying what they didn't get the facts or they didn't get the email. Jeez. Yeah. So same thing with like, um, Oh gosh, I could just go on and on and on and on. I just did a podcast earlier that's about service providers and they're talking about chiropractors. And I'm like, yeah, chiropractors set their schedule where they're in from nine to 12. Then they come back at three to six, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, <laughs> Tuesday and Thursday, these hours, which is ridiculous, right? Mm. Because they design their business around their agenda not around the client experience. Am I making sense? Absolutely. If you want happy clients, design the processes around the customer experience first. Then make sure they're efficient, productive, well-documented because buyers are going to walk in, ask for your SOP checklist, ask for your policies and procedure manuals, want to see your non-competes, want to see your employee contracts, your employee handbooks. You need to have documentation. I know it sounds simple, but I'm here to tell you a lot of the businesses don't do it. Yeah, I, uh, it's funny you mentioned that. I share an office with a chiropractor. And so he, uh, he just schedules when, when the patient needs to come in. If it's a Saturday a sun or Sunday, he'll do it. You know, if it's 7 a.m. or 7 p.m., he'll, he'll do it. So That's great because he's yeah. got a job. He's got a job. Yeah. It's not scalable. It's not sustainable. Mm. Yeah. Um, all right. So the next P is proprietary. Proprietary is the highest value driver. Most companies are calculated by a multiple of EBITDA, earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization. Unless you're a SaaS company, then it's a multiple of revenues. So if your company is under a million dollars in EBITDA, then your multiple is going to be lower. If it's over a million, then your multiple will be higher. And there's a lot more buyers for companies that have over a million dollars in EBITDA than there are for companies under a million dollars in EBITDA. Because there's more buyers for good businesses than there are good businesses to buy. <laughs> so proprietary is the number one value driver. Proprietary can take you from a four multiple to six or a five to eight, you know? So you need to build these proprietary assets. There are six pillars to proprietary, so I'll try to come from all as quickly as possible possible. But number one is branding. How well branded are you? The more well branded your business is, the more I can sell your company for. As long as your brand is relevant in the mind of the consumers. Meaning, does anybody want to pay anything for Blockbuster? No. No, because it has negative, right? It's negative meaning. The biggest brand, the most valuable brand in the world, do you know who? You know who it is? Uh, I don't actually. Apple, is it? Is it Take a guess. Apple. apple. Yep. You get an apple for that. Yeah. <laughs> so it's Apple. So Apple is worth $249 billion. Wow. Just a brand. 
that's not inventory. That's not asset. That's not including real estate, EBITDA, cash flow, anything. That's just the brand is worth $249 billion. Build your brand, build your exit rich. So the second thing that's very valuable are trademarks. You know, trademark your company name, your anything, your USP, your unique selling proposition, anything that's unique to you, your podcast. But here's a mistake the business owners make. They go out and they get a state trademark. No good. <laughs> no good. They don't check the federal database to make sure that that name is available. So they could be in business five to 10 years and all of a sudden receive a sys and desist letter in the mail that says you got to stop using that company name because someone else owns a federal trademark. Mm. And they, you know, most business owners will hire an attorney, spend thousands upon thousands of dollars and they're going to lose. And, and most likely, in all likelihood, they will lose. Mm. So go out there and protect your Company name, your slogan, everything, right? So Makes important. Sense. Slogans are so important to, to a company's brand, like Nike, just do it. Right. Right? So just do it. Go protect it. Um, also, if you have any, you know, we're selling a company right now that has products, and they have probably, I don't know, 12, 15 different trademarks, federal trademarks, all federal trademarks. And they sell to grocery store chains. So each grocery store chain has a different one of these products. That is huge. Buyers will pay a lot of money for these types of synergies. Patents are also very valuable. Do you watch Shark Tank? Yep. What's the questions that every single investor always asks every single mentor? Uh, is it patented? <laughs> Do you have a patent on this? Do you have a patent pending? Do you have a utility pen? Do you have this? Do you have that, right? So go get a patent. Contracts are valuable. Manufacturing contracts, distribution contracts, um, franchise or contracts. The most valuable contracts of all are client contracts because business owners want to make sure that they're buying a business that has revenue coming in. Businesses that have reoccurring revenue are favorable over those that don't. Businesses that have subscription models are favorable to, to those that don't. So those will get you a higher multiple as well. Celebrity endorsements are huge. Radio personalities endorsing your, your company, your product is huge. Um, E-commerce businesses. We sell a lot of e-commerce businesses. E-commerce businesses that can get those top three positions on Etsy, Wayfair, Amazon, in their, in their particular niche is huge. Buyers will pay a lot of money for that. Databases. I forgot to tell you about databases. You can lose money in your company. <laughs> And as long as you have a database with a lot of users that can be retargeted and repurposed, we can sell your company. Facebook paid $19 billion for WhatsApp. How much money was WhatsApp making? Not zero. Sure. They were actually doing worse than not making any money. They were losing money. They were hemorrhaging. Wow. But they had a synergy that Facebook knew that they could ROI. And that synergy was a billion users. Mm. a billion users, okay? So these are proprietary assets that companies have to build in which to grow their value of their business. Any questions before I go into the fifth P? I don't, I don't think so. I think you're really hitting all the points here. Patrons. So this is your customer base. Most businesses follow the 80-20 rule where 80% of your revenue comes from 20% of your clients. 
That's a problem because that's customer concentration, not customer diversification. And what I mean by that is, well, we had, we had a advertising company we were selling, media company. They have five clients. We were selling it for $10 million. They lost two clients in the process. Oh, oh, wow. Now, the reason they have five clients is because they, had, they specialized in casinos. So they have five of the biggest casinos. But they lost two. The revenues dropped almost in half overnight. Wow. They weren't sellable anymore. So what I did is I merged them with another media company. Hmm. Okay. So customer concentration. And, and when I say customer concentration, it's just like, you know, I was talking earlier on this podcast about chiropractors and chiropractors can have different customer bases. Like you can have personal injury, which comes from attorneys, right? You can have major medical, which is your, your major medical patients that bill on insurance. You can have workers comp, which gets, um, goes under workers' comp insurance. You can have wellness, wellness, which is um, wellness patients. Patients are trying to, you know, keep in good health alternatively. And those are your four different client bases, right? But if they only do personal injury and they have two attorneys sending them 80% of the revenue and they lose one attorney or two attorneys, they're in big trouble. Mm-hmm. You follow me? So this yeah. is how you really have to look at things. So you want to make sure you have customer diversification, not customer concentration. Now, if you have customer concentration, that doesn't mean you can't sell your, sell your business. It means you better hire somebody like me that can find that buyer of a needle in a haystack <laughs> <laughs> because there are some buyers that will buy customer concentration. It is very difficult. We sold a business or a manufacturing business that has 70% of the revenues tied up in the BP contract. We have 550 buyers for this business, 12 LOIs, lever and tents, we appraised it in a $9.8 million range. And we found a strategic slash competitor that has similar products and services that have been trying to get into BP for years and can never get their products in. Every other buyer, once they started going through the process, just said, no, we pass, we pass, we pass, because it's risky. And everybody wants to mitigate risk. But this one buyer says, I'm all in. <laughs> and they outbidded everybody else. They paid $15 million for 70% of the business, which was 126% more than what the business appraised for. Wow. Wow. So the very last P is profits. All of us are in business to make money, right? Hmm. None of us want to lose money. I put profits last because profits is never the problem. Everybody thinks profits, lack of profits is a problem. It's not the problem. It's a symptom. It's a symptom of not running on one of the other five Ps. Clients come to me all the time and say, I have, a, I have a profit problem. I'm like, no, you have a people problem. <laughs> or no, you have a process problem. You do not have a profit problem. Profits are the symptom. If you run your business on all five of these six Ps, just like, I t- just like I've been illustrating, and it's all in my book, you won't have a, prob- a problem with lack of profits. You have so much, you'll have so much profit. Wow. Yeah. And you kind of touched on a little bit, you put profit last, but the other P's, are they, do you cover them in that order for a specific reason? Like, is there a specific, when you speak with your clients about these, like, do you always start with the people or like, why are they ordered that way? I always start with the people because if you don't have any people, it's going to be very hard to get your processes in place. Mm-hmm. Right. It's going to be very difficult. So I always start with people because the business owner can't do everything. Mm-hmm. 
And many business owners want to have their hand in everything. You yeah. can't. You'll never grow your business unless you let go of the control. So I always start with people because people is one of the biggest aspects in your business to grow your business. So you really need people to do all these other things. Mm-hmm. If you if you if you have just one owner, how are they going to do all these other things, right? Right. Makes sense. So that's why we start with people. And then we go to product because the industry is very important. I mean, you know, nobody really wants to buy restaurants right now, except for the turnaround specialist. <laughs> you know, for turnaround specialists, it's a gold mine for them. You right. know, uh, and that's why we start with product because we got to get the product right. You know, and I, I'm hoping that this pandemic, and I hope this doesn't sound bad when I say this, sound insensitive, but I'm hoping this pandemic is a wake up call for many business owners. Because many business owners put all their eggs in one basket, like one restaurant. We have a restaurant. That's it. We are not diversified in anything else. No other businesses, no other revenue streams, no financial portfolio, nothing else, just one restaurant. Mm -hmm. And we have one month, two months of working capital at best. That's not sustainable. Business owners really have to have congruent revenue streams I need to be somewhat diversified and I need to have at least a year's worth of working capital. Yeah. It's, it sounds simple, simplified process, but. It all everything I'm saying sounds simple because I make yeah. it sound that way. <laughs> <laughs> Go by the book, but everybody. <laughs> we have step-by-step-by-step by step by step blueprints, you know, plus we help our clients every step of the way. Yeah. That's great. And when you talk to these clients, like, what's i mean what's the biggest objection as to why they never started the the people process i know you said they, they don't want to give up control but is it more of like a trust thing with that or is it more of they just think they don't have the money to to hire more people or well, invest in more things it's a combination so it's a combination of a trust thing it's a combination of oh well if i want it done right i'll do it myself it's a combination of them you know want to have their hands in every pot it's a combination of them not thinking they don't have money to hire somebody but i'm here to tell you if you don't have an assistant you are the assistant (laughs) so you can't afford not to hire people right it's also a thing of here's the big reason tim is because business owners are so busy in the day-to-day that they don't have time. So busy in the day. I'll give you a perfect example. I had a, a company call me, a graphics company call me a few years ago to sell their business. And um, it was a small business. The owner, the owner got me on the phone and you don't always get me on the phone, but the <laughs> owner got me on the phone. And I started talking to him and I could tell he had a tremendous amount of passion, but he was also had a lot of, Mm, what's the word? Not anxiety, but just like almost feeling like he failed. And he's like, I really, I got to sell this business. My wife and I are working 14 hours a day, 14 to 16 hours a day. We have one employee and I just don't have the business acumen to grow this company to the next level. And I said, okay, tell me about the business. And he started telling me about the business. And he said, we are known for our artwork. We're known for our quality. We're the best. In fact, we're so good that we're turning down about 6,000 clients a year. Wow. That's what I said. Wow. 
6,000 clients a year. And I said, gosh, <laughs> 6,000 clients a year. I said, you have the opposite problem. Most clients can't get 6,000 clients a year. Most business owners would love to have 6,000 clients a year. Yeah. So I said, listen, and he had, they had one employee. They were the business. And by the way, they told him one employee that they were going to sell or close their doors. You never want to do that. <laughs> so I said, listen, we're not going to put you on the market because you're not sellable. You're not sellable. Your business, and plus, they were, they've been an employer. So they've been self-employed for years and years and years and years. If I was able to sell their business, a very small if, by the time they paid off debt, commissions, taxes, they would be working for somebody else. Jeez. Employers who have been self-employed do not want to go work for somebody else, right? right. Their business wasn't sellable because they were the business. A husband and wife are the business. So I, I, I said, we're not going to put you on the market. He goes, well, what are we going to do? <laughs> I said, you're going to send me everything that I request. I'm going to do my due diligence. I'm going to apply there and meet with you, and I might partner with you. So I did. I flew there. I met with them. They had a garage. They were in a garage, basically. It was a shed on their property. Wow. And um, they were doing everything. So this is a graphics company that specializes in graphics and vehicle wraps for first responders. They were doing the artwork. They were doing the wraps, the installs. They were dealing with client customer service. They were doing, I mean, just so many who's in that business. And all the who's were assigned to the two, to the husband and wife and one employee. They had no time to, to put out ads. They had no time to write out job descriptions and had no time to post ads. Do you know how time consuming it is to, to find to hire somebody? It's extremely time consuming. Mm -hmm. They didn't have any time for that. They were shoving invoices in the cabinet because they didn't have time to deal with them. <laughs> they were just shoving invoices in. So a lot of people get so buried in the day to day that they just don't have time to focus on the people side of the business. And guess what? Unfortunately, there are not very many good recruiting companies out there. And recruiting companies that hear this might get mad, but it's true. <laughs> I've talked to other recruiting companies and say, you know what? There's not very many recruiting companies. <laughs> They're not good. I've used so many different recruiting companies and staffing companies, and they are terrible. So it's very hard as an owner, like that situation, to try to fix your people problem. Does that make sense? Yeah. Out of the six Ps, they were working out on, they had three that they were functioning on and they were missing three. So they were missing the people. They had a great product, great product. They were missing processes. They had no processes. I mean, shoving invoices in cabinet is not a process. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there were no real processes, right? They were just doing things as they needed to get them done and, you know, keep the clients happy. And obviously they did a great job at client satisfaction because all their business was from word of mouth. This company has never advertised, never. Mm. So, and then they didn't have anything proprietary. They had, you know, great, uh, well, they had a little bit of proprietary because they had, they were really well branded and mm. then they had profits. Mm. So they were missing the people, the processes, and they were missing people, processes, and proprietary, yeah. No, mm -hmm. pro yeah, they were missing proprietary. They had patrons yeah. because they didn't have any customer concentration. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So does that answer your question? Yes. And I, I appreciate that because I know a lot of people who listen to this podcast are going to appreciate what you just went through because I think, the, the, I mean, the six P specifically. Um, and I'm trying to apply it to my own because like I, 
within the last year, I started my own resume writing and professional coaching business where I advise people. And I like, I've had the thought, like, I'm, I feel like I'm too deep into it. Cause I, I want to expand and grow it into a company. Like I, I told myself back, back in January that I wanted to build a website and here I am in March that still hasn't happened yet. And that's a problem because I told myself. So um, I think there's a lot of things that, that you hit on that are, that are very important that a lot of people can, can get into. So I appreciate you sharing that. And do you have any employees? Do you have any 1099s? No, I don't. Cause the thing is I just started this within the last year. So I'm very early in it, but I'm getting to the, getting to the point where, I'm having to turn away clients. And as soon as I start to do that, I know it's time to, to start building out and building a team. And I think for me, the process thing that you're talking about, like I know exactly how to do everything and I know how to put my personal touch on it, but I think it starts with setting expectations and a process that I can communicate to people as I bring them on. So I, right. think, I think that's the best place to start, but yeah. And so you understand yeah. Being one person trying to do all that stuff, you wanted to get a website done and your website's still not done. Probably mm -hmm. hasn't even started. You probably haven't started the website, right? Yeah. And yeah. because you're one person and one person can only do so much. Right. They were three people and they could only do so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, so I partnered with them. I took them out of their, their garage into a 6,000 square foot building. And now they have a team of employees and a COO, and now they actually have a business. And guess what? The same gentleman that told me he had no business acumen to grow this business to the next level, couldn't be more wrong. <laughs> he has so much business acumen. He comes up with so many brilliant ideas about how to grow the company. He comes up with inventions all the time. He's extremely creative. It's just that, and so is his wife. They both have tremendous business acumen. It's just that when you're in the middle of your fog, it's foggy. When you're, when you're a firefighter putting out all these fires, how do you have time to ever work on your business and do anything else? You don't even have time to think about your great ideas mm -hmm. versus trying to get all the daily who's done in the business. Right. Right? Yeah. And most business owners are stuck in that trap. That story I told you is probably 60, 70% of business owners. Yes. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I was in a, going off Tim's point, I don't write processes down. And after speaking with you, I need to write some processes down. Um, for you need to time. not just write them down. You need to write them down because writing them down is a first step. <laughs> 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 Got to write them down because a lot of clients are like, well, I had this whole process book, but then they never trained anybody on them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's got to be, you know, they've got to be, and most entrepreneurs are not the best process people, um, but they got to be, you know, so cookie cutter like a McDonald's that if, if, if you have to rinse and repeat and hire, you know, fire somebody, hire somebody else in that position that they can just basically go to the SOP checklist and do their job. Mm. That's how yeah. systematic it has to be. How many, how much turnover do you think a McDonald's has or Burger King has or, you know, any of those companies, tremendous. Crazy, yeah. I, I go to the same McDonald's all the time, and I don't think I ever see the same person there. <laughs> you know, Chick-fil-A has a better retention rate because I think they're, you know, I, I just think they're a very well-ran company. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Michelle, when does, I know you uh, wanted to, you had a kind of a time crunch. We got about 10-ish minutes. When does Exit Rich uh, come out? So Exit Rich comes out in June. We are the perfect example of pivoting. 
because okay. <laughs> we've had to move the launch date a couple of times because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, but it comes out in June, but you don't have to wait. You can go to exitrichbook.com right now and buy Exit Rich for $24.79. We will email you the digital download so you can start reading it today. Plus, we'll send the hardcover to your doorstep for anyone that lives in the United States. Plus, we'll give you a lifetime membership into Exit Rich Book Club. So if you like what you hear here, there's more of this video content. There's more of me, you know, going over these techniques, strategies um, that we've been talking about today, plus documents, documents Mm -hmm. to run your company, documents to sell your company. We have example employee handbooks, example organizational charts, non-competes, example letter of intents, purchase agreements, due diligence checklist, and closing docs. These documents alone will cost you between twenty-five dollars to $30,000 to recreate. They're there for your review and your download to use. Jeez. That is a huge value. Plus, we also give you 30 days free membership into Club CEOs. Club CEOs is a mastermind of entrepreneurs where we ask those transformational questions so we can help business owners really think about their business more clearly make some of those transformational changes so they can build a sustainable, scalable, and when they're ready, sellable business. Okay. Great. I think, I think Tim that's and I a probably lot, lot of value for $24.79. Yeah. yeah. Everybody yeah. No who kidding. listens to this podcast needs to jump on that. Yeah. yeah. And we'll make sure that when we, <laughs> when we record our intro at the beginning, we'll make sure to reiterate what you just said so that people can hear that on the front end as well. Mm-hmm. So that's, it's really good value. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't like to speak for people, and but you I know, think- just I was going to say, I think I'll speak for Tim and I. We're, we're going to jump on that real quick. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> awesome. And I just yeah. want to tell you a little bit more about Exit Rich. Sharon yeah. Lecter is my co-author who wrote Rich Dad Poor Dad with Robert Kiyosaki. Really? Oh, wow. She's no a five kidding. times New York Times bestselling author. And she's also written several books in the Napoleon Hill Foundation, Thinking Grow Rich. Wow. Plus, she's a CPA, a financial literacy expert, the advisor to several different presidents. Her husband is an intellectual property attorney. So she writes a mentor's corner after each one of my chapters. Plus, Exit Rich has been endorsed by Steve Forbes, who says Exit Rich is a gold mine for every entrepreneur. Um, Kevin Harrington, the original shark on Shark Tank, gave us a glowing forward recommendation. Plus, Jack Canfield, Mark Victor Hansen, Les Brown, Brian Tracy, Tom Hopkins, and more. David Meltzer. Wow. No, no more convincing yeah. for, for me. That's for sure. Yeah. We're that's, bought in. That's great. Awesome. And, and what the, the pro, what did the process look like? So you said, this is your second book. What, and you said things have changed since this you is wrote, actually my third book. Oh, it's your third book. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. What, what influenced you to write this one and what did the process look like? And I guess, when did you start? You want to maybe give more light into that? About when did I start writing the book? Mm-hmm. So writing for writing a book for me is very easy. Mm-hmm. And I don't spend years writing a book. I would never do that. <laughs> it's a colossal waste of time for me. <laughs> I write all of my books in six weeks. I have wow. six more books coming out. I do them all in six weeks, six to eight weeks. And I am very, you know, very structured. I have a time frame. I usually start right before Thanksgiving. And I usually end at the end of Christmas or right in, you know, at the beginning of January. That six week process. I don't come into my office. I work from my home office. 
I tell all of my employees at all my different companies not to contact me unless the building's on fire. <laughs> I tell my family not to talk to me unless the house is on fire. And I do this during the holidays, which is crazy, <laughs> you know, but I don't do it every year. I do it like every other year, or every two years. And so, you know, it's funny because I always have a household, you know, a, a, a house full of guests for the holidays. And I'm like, don't talk to me. I'll come down around 536 for cocktail hour. <laughs> you know? Now we know but, why you schedule around the holidays. You got out of all the hoopla. And I usually start around 4 a.m., 4, 430, something like that. And I usually write all day with maybe two, two breaks, two or three breaks small breaks. Okay. And I'll usually write till 536. Um, and that's how I get it done. And I type every word in the book. It's all me. I try to use one of those dictating services and it doesn't work. It doesn't understand my accent. <laughs> it took me longer to go back and correct it than it did just to write it. Oh, I tried geez. to ghostwrite it one time and that was god awful um, because they just don't, they didn't get my thoughts down. I mean, I, I felt like I kept telling them the same thing and every version didn't have what I told you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so I'm like, I'm done with that. So that's the only, that's how I write my books. Okay. Does that answer awesome. your question? Yeah. Yeah. Just awesome. curious. Yeah. The writing piece is easy. Mm -hmm. It's the publishing. It's the marketing. It's the sales. It's the everything else that's, more, that's a little bit more complicated. Yeah. That's excellent. Um, Michelle, before we kind of wrap up, um, I don't want to push you for time. Anything else that you want to add, plug, uh, whether it be the book, anything else that we've discussed or, or not touched upon yet uh, to leave with our audience? Um, I think, you know, the biggest thing is just, just realize that your business is your most valuable asset and treat it as a business, you know. And if you're stuck you don't have to stay stuck. There's so many successful entrepreneurs like myself that love to get back. And the more successful someone is, the more time they usually have to help someone else be successful. So just reach out because entrepreneurs love helping other entrepreneurs that I have found. And you need a mentor. You really shouldn't do this alone. You know, you need to find somebody who's been down your path because it will shorten your learning curve dramatically and make your path to success so much quicker. Hmm. So there's strength in numbers. You know, we talked about people in your organization, but you also need to have, I always say your network equals your net worth. Relationship capital. Make sure you're hanging out with successful people. If you want to be successful, you hang out with successful people. <sighs> you want to be rich, you hang out with rich people. You want to be, ha have a successful entrepreneurship, entrepreneurial career hang out with other successful entrepreneurs, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And learn from others' mistakes. Learn from other people's mistakes. And anybody can feel free to text Michelle to 888-526-5750. All of my websites pop up. All of my social media pops up. Follow me at on LinkedIn. I mean, connect with me on LinkedIn. Follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And then my other website is SilerTucker.com. Plus, make sure you go out to ExitRichBook.com and get the book while we're in pre-sales. Because after pre-sales, we won't have all of these goodies anymore. Okay. Good. Good. Act on it now. Yeah. Uh, Michelle, so we always have our, our final question. 
um, that we ask everybody. And it's, it's how would you like to be remembered? You know, when it's all said and done, uh, Michelle, Siler Tucker, how, how would you like to be remembered? Um, I think what's important to me is to, to, rem- to be remembered for what, so, what I'm so passionate about. I'm so passionate about entrepreneurship. I'm like a kid in a candy store. I can't wait to find out how somebody has an eighth grade education that started their, their $70 million company out of their pickup truck. I've got a company I'm selling right now for $70 million. The owner has an eighth grade education. He started in his pickup truck. <laughs> wow. you know, and I got story after story after story like that. I'm probably going to write a book about this. <laughs> but I would like to be remembered for, you know, all the business owners I help save their businesses, all the business owners who I help retire rich, all the business owners which I didn't just help save your businesses, but I help save their marriages. I help save their family homes. I help save their personal assets. In many cases, I help their kids go to college because we were able to get enough money for their business to pay for college. I would like to be remembered for all of that. That's, great. that's awesome. I love it. And be remembered awesome. that I am a good mom of a 10 year old. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's more complicated than any transaction I've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's so awesome. Well, Michelle, we really appreciate your time. We, we know you're very busy and thank you to you and, and Sebastian uh, for helping connect us all. And uh, I, Tim and I had a blast. Uh, thank you. So enlightening talking to someone like you, who's, you know, just got all the experience and knows how to do it. So thank you very much. Thank you, Colin. Thank you, Tim. Thank you both for having me. It's been yeah, my best. pleasure. Well, yes. do. Talk Have soon. a great day and go get Exit Rich and then read Exit Rich and then email me your comments. I will. We, we definitely I'll will. take you up on that. Yep. All right. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you. Yep. Bye-bye. See ya.